Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuckocrats? What the fuck, publicans? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my show. This is my podcast. This is WTF, the podcast. Founded in 2009. Is that right? Yeah, God, man, we've been doing this a long time. Wait, how are you? Today on the show, uh, someone I've known a long time, kind of. Have I really? Well, I knew her way back when for a short period of time maybe a little bit maybe i met her a couple of times like 20 some odd years ago how's that so maybe saying that i know her a long time is not exactly right but i i met her and she was familiar to me and then after i talked to her even more familiar to me because we're very similar it's one of those uh one of those conversations where it's like wow this is uh this is getting deep here in terms of issues but uh Ariel Levy. She's got her book coming out in paperback, uh, An Abbreviated Life, a memoir. Uh, It's available now, and it's kind of an intense talk. I guess this is sort of intense talk time. I got a lot of feedback for the Phil Elverum, Mark Mulcahy conversations. Uh, Most of the the feedback was, uh, you know, I'm crying at my desk, but it's good. It's always good when crying is good. You know, those those are... Those are the big moments in life. When crying is good, it's good. When crying is bad, maybe you should get out of that situation. What do you think? Oh, and also on the show, I'm not sure I should have done this, but uh, look, I'm a fan of country music and I I have an open mind and, you know, I I can respect artists, but uh, this is one of those things where it's like, what are people going to think of this guy? You you know, I I have his first record. He's got a new record coming out, but you know, he wanted to come by. He came by. So I was going to, I'll indulge him. Uh, Wheeler Walker Jr. Uh, So, you know, so that's coming up. You should, you should look forward to it. So I hope you're, you're, you're keeping it together and you're fighting the good fight. Still, it is a country worth fighting for, even when it seems daunting and full of fucking idiots. Uh, and, and just, uh, you know, scary as the, the sort of foundations of reality kind of, uh, shift and move and become unclear. Uh, just know who you are. All right. That's a, uh, you just got to know who you are. When you come back, you got to know who you are. That was like an old rule of hallucinogenics. You know what I mean? Just hang on. Remember your name. Just remember your name and where you're standing and what you are and what you stand for. Right. Right. That's it. How about I just fucking relax? 
Can I just fucking do that? Would that be all right with you people? Can I just fucking relax for a couple of weeks? I don't know if I can. I, I, I hadn't done stand-up in a couple of weeks, maybe a week or so. But I spent all that time doing the big sets on the road, and I come back. And, and a couple of weeks go by, and I'm like, no, nah, I don't think I want to do it anymore. And then I think, well, what the fuck? Is, what does that even mean, man? What are you going to do? It's like, I don't know. Does anyone really care? I mean, what's the point? You know, it's like, I don't know what I want to say. And and then I go a little, I go a little deeper in it. Cause I'm thinking, where does that come from? Cause I'm kind of causing myself stress. And I put in a, I put in for a spot at the comedy store, uh, on Saturday night. And I felt like I, I hadn't done the store. I haven't been there in months. That's a very specific place. I know I'm going to do the spot on Saturday and I'm kind of like, ah, what am I going to, how can I just, Jesus, I don't know what I'm going to say anymore. I mean, what's the point? You know, I just, uh, it's, it's like, haven't I done enough? Can I just take a break? And heading into a Saturday night spot in the main room, I was trying to figure out what the what the fuck is the struggle here? Like, how does that happen that I've been doing something more than half my life and and then sometimes I'm just sort of like, I can't, I don't know how to do it. I'm like, I don't have any new jokes. How, how Why would I have new jokes? I've been on the road for, you know, months doing this hour, hour and a half, hour 40, whatever the hell I was doing. So those jokes, no, most people don't know those jokes. Because I don't have a new fucking joke or two or a new bit or a new idea, which happens a lot in these very monologues, arguably this could be one of them. I just kind of undermine myself completely and I'm like, well, fuck it. Where are the new jokes going to come from? When does that happen? When does the muse deliver them? But I went to the store and then I just got it in my head. I'm like, dude, just go up and fucking kill. Just go up and kill. You know, do the, you know, it's a full house. You know, do the jokes you like, stay present, do the ones that, if you keep it current, you know, take some shots, but do the good ones. It's 15 minutes. Just go up, take your place. You haven't been to the store in a couple of weeks and fucking kill. So I go back, I go up to the, you know, I get there, I hang out. They put new bathrooms in the back hallway. Now that may not be a big deal to some of you. But to those of us that have been going to the comedy store for half our life, any little structural improvement is sort of like, wow, man, things are really turning around. There's a couple of clean bathrooms in the back hallway, not the single occupancy ones that smell funny and you never know what you're going to be looking at when you walk in there. I know this is probably a, yeah, you know, the people that like to do blow and fucking bathrooms, this is going to, you know, they're taking a hit on this one. But uh, but people who enjoy having, you know, uh, the option to go to the bathroom with a couple of stalls and it's clean, uh, you know, welcome to the new comedy store. And then I just got on stage and fucking killed. And I don't always do that because it's not always what I'm thinking about. Sometimes I'm just thinking about I hope this works, but I'm like, dude, just go up and do the fucking job and and kill. Just pick it out. Just pick out the shit and do it. So in other words. I'm probably going to be doing comedy for a while longer (laughs) because it felt fucking great. You hear me? Yeah, so so I feed my cat fish. Look, I go to the fish store. I get fish for myself so I don't clog my heart up with other garbage animal products. And, you know, there's some fresh fish that is cheaper than cat food, to be honest with you. I don't know if you have a fresh fish place, but, like, I get some, like, I don't remember, rockfish like eight bucks a pound and i just get like a you know like a quarter pound and i just give them little treats of fish so they feel wild 
So they feel like they've done something with their day. You give a cat some chicken or some fish. I'll get some Trader Joe's chicken breast just for the cats. Yeah, I'm living large. That's a that's you know that's that's how I'm spending my money, feeding my cats like wild animals. I'll tell you though, man, you give a cat some raw fish and they are flying around the house like they've just achieved something amazing. They were in the water killing fish in their mind. Just just that little taste of the fresh fish and just trigger something in their little wild animal heads and they just fly around the house proud and wild man it's that easy it's that easy don't you wish it was that easy when was the last time you felt proud and wild huh when was it so all right so wheeler walker jr came by uh i don't really know why i had him over it's probably you know it was probably a mistake but uh but he's here and he's a character, so I, I, so I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go ahead and share with you my, uh, my little chat with Wheeler Walker Jr. His new album, Old Wheeler, is available now at WheelerWalkerJr.com. That's Jr. Not Junior. So WheelerWalkerJr.com or wherever you get music. So listen to me, me and uh, Wheeler. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. We're talk. So, Wheeler, what is it with you guys? You can't take the hat off to wear the headphones. I mean, I no man. It's, I got I got to look. I got to keep you know. Yeah, but we're on. We're no one's looking. We're in, well. We got David over here. I got the. I all mean, right, all right. But I mean, I mean it, I, are you hiding something? Are you? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm losing my hair, but you are. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's I always feel, I always said that um, uh, the difference between a guy who goes into rock and roll and the country guys, I think, are the country guys are the guys losing their hair so they can wear the cowboy hat. Well, I mean, doesn't uh, I always thought when I was younger, growing up, that the cowboy hat would uh, would cause baldness somehow that you you know like you not not get enough sun or well, I guess putting too much pressure on your head. I, I don't know. I guess it's yeah. I guess it's a you know catch twenty two. I suppose. Yeah. Let me let me see the record. You know, I liked the first album. You know, I got behind it. Yeah, man, you you were a lot of help with uh did some tweeting. Did a lot of tweeting. You also tweet about a lot of, you know, other great country artists there too. Sure, sure. Remember I mean, you, li- you like this girl Aubrey Sellers record, remember? Aubrey that? Sellers. She's good and Margo came Margo in here. came in here. Sturgill, Sturgill came. came in here. Isabel, yeah. right? He's been in here. Isabel's, yeah, years ago I talked to Isabel. So you see yourself at those are your peers. Well, to me, I, I don't think they'd say that, but, you know, to me they are. Well, did you sell any records on that? Yeah, I did real. I mean, the goal with the first record was to sell enough to make a second record. And, and, you, you've, and you've got it in your hands. So, yeah, it was. Did you make any profit at all? Um, More than I thought. Yeah, I mean, we had, 
it's weird in the you know in independent music it's like what's a profit it's like enough to keep to sure to do the next one I, but know? i still wonder you know like uh you know these these songs yeah how are you gonna get radio play you know on on some of these songs or it doesn't matter anymore it don't matter we actually put out a you know they have those trade magazines where yeah. you, you put out the like you know how many stations added you we, we've actually put out a fake one in the trades yeah because we sent that we sent one of the songs out to radio yeah and it got zero ads and they actually printed zero ads yeah like, like zero stations added so yeah we, we actually bought an ad in the paper, you know. Put zero. Congratulations on to Wheeler Walk Jr. for zero ads. Let's go, let's let's just talk about some of these on this the new record, Old Wheeler. Do you want me to read these song names? Yeah, uh, Pussy King. I mean, I understand it, but I mean, like, how, how do you? I'm the, I'm, I mean, I'm the. I mean, you know, like I said, it's like a you know, Elvis was the king, Michael Jackson was the king of right. pop. What, right. no, what else? There's nothing else left. So okay, so you're the Pussy King. Yeah. And uh, finger up my butt. What what's that one about? How's that going to get? Rated? Well, there there was a. It's just, I don't. It, it, we're definitely. I'm not going to lie. We're having. It's, we're kind of struggling with getting that on on the radio. But it was a. There's You're a struggling with getting finger up my butt on the radio. Yeah. Well, the thing. Well, I'd heard a story. There's a big time country star that I I'd heard stories of who he can only really get off when he has a finger up his ass. So. So it's not even about you. It's about some other no, guy. Correct. But uh-huh. I can't say his name. I'll get in trouble. But it doesn't matter. Not going to play it anyway. Now, drunk sluts—that should be popular. Yeah, that's. I think that could be the hit, the single. Yeah. But I mean, but what 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 happened? I mean, it's because it, I've I've heard the album, the other album, and you know, uh, it's not novelty music. I mean, it's real country music with the real country sentiment, and that it's honest. But it seems like you're almost making it more difficult for yourself to get radio played by making. Yeah. Them well, filthy. I mean, I'm. T- that's why I'm here. You know, it's like. I can say fuck you, fuck here, you know. It's yeah. like fuck it. I'll just do the podcast. And I'll do it my way, and I'll. I don't. I won't. I don't want to censor myself. You know. It's like okay. I, yeah. I get that, but I mean, there's other. There's ways to capture the same sentiment. Maybe not with finger up my butt or pussy king, but it seems like fucking around and drunk sluts and uh, uh, if my dick is up, why am I down? Well, that's a pretty good lyric, but still, I mean, it's going to be tough to, you know, get it on. Yeah, it's like, you know, I was just, I'd spent so many years bumming around Nashville, you know, trying to do it their way. I'm like, you know what? No more sense. I'm just going to, you know, you write a song and then you kind of clean it up before you record it. Yeah. You put the kind of, you put your first thoughts down. Yeah, sure. What if I made a record where I just didn't, um, you know. Censor yourself. I didn't, I put, I, I recorded the first drafts almost. I wanted, it was kind of, you know, this, I figured this was my last shot, you know? Well, why is that? I mean, what the fuck happened to you? I mean, I can say that here. I mean, it's like, when I saw you years ago, it sounded good. You, you're on the right trajectory. Uh, you're a little younger, but you you know. You, yeah, well, 15 years of, of what? Ha- having my ass handed to me was just, I'd, I'd had enough and I go, I want to put, you know, I want to put that shit down and, you know, Onto, I get it. On, onto a record and, yeah, honest and also I, I knew it would piss off Nashville so I'm like well know. I know but isn't there a fine line like what the hell happened to that first record I remember there's a bunch of buzz on the first record what was that like a, like that was like fucking over 15 years ago that yeah I mean, it was you know it was, it was marketing shit you know like what happened well I blame you know it was Bin Laden's fault it was a 9-11 sh- you know the, the record came out on 9-11 yeah on that day yeah okay but it, I mean yeah, that's a, that's tough. That's tough, but it's a record. It should still be out there. I mean, what's it called? Well, it's called No Love for the City, and because you know, I'm a country boy, so we put and put a you know a, 
So your album "No Love for the City" came out on, and 9/11. there was a picture, you know, picture of the towers behind us. That's what kind of that was probably the bigger issue. That it's just you in front of the world, the old World Trade. Just I, I, I never was a big fan of New York City, and that was the, the worst week to say that. Yeah, obviously, was well, a bad week for the record to come out. You had no control over that. That's yeah, just... it's not my fault. Then after that, yeah, I think I took, I took that a little, I internalized it, and then just kind of took it, you know. And so what happened after and, that? You know, got another record deal. You know, yeah. Fuck the CEO's wife or whatever. You know, that's the kind of shit that got me in, into trouble. You, you know, you fucked the CEO's of the of the label's wife. Yeah. Uh huh. And that was probably um, self sabotage, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I don't get that deep into it. I mean, it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> you don't get that deep into it, but I mean, was it worth it? Is it a good time or? Looking back, I could have used the money more than the that <laughs> then, night, but then, yeah. Then the pussy. Yeah. Well. What? Look, look I get, I, looking back, that was definitely one of the dumber moves. Um, <laughs> what are some other ones? I mean, I just, you know, I just, you know, I would get in fights in the studio, fire the band, fire the producer, and then realize I'd blown. Because these these record labels are more just like banks. You know, it's not like uh-huh. if I fire everyone, I go tell the label, and they go, uh-huh. "We don't have the money to hire anybody else." I can't just, you know, so it's just you sitting alone in there, like fuming. Yeah, just it's you know uh-huh. they got like there's 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 a lot of camera footage of me just you know s- smashing mixing board but I but I you know I would blow my advance on you know smashing you know guitars I smash so so sure. you're a guy with a second record deal with the shit luck of having a record come out on nine eleven with other problems so the first thing you do or in that first year of the next record deal you fuck the CEO's wife you fire your band you fire the producer you've got no juice of your own. No real traction. So how long did it take for them to say, fuck you, the record label? I mean, that one was, you know, pretty right. damn fast. I mean, <laughs> probably, I would say it was, it could be counted in hours, you know. Oh, hours after you yeah. fired the producer and the band? Yeah. Uh-huh. I think it was the fucking that got that got me. So that all timed out, like the CEO found out you fucked his wife around the same time that you Yeah, fired. well, I knew after that I was probably on my way out. Yeah. So you're like, why not just burn it down? Yeah, let's just burn it down. That's kind of what I'm doing with the with the new shit. Is just like, what's going to piss off Music Row the most? Is, right, is playing this traditional country that I love that they yeah. obviously hate since they're putting out all this pop shit. I'll put it out my way, you know, and yeah, and just. So did Dave Cobb do this one too? Yeah. Oh, so you you're working with a real guy? I'm working with yeah. I'm working with the best of the best. It's just you know. Well, there's some legal issues on you know whether they're going to have their names on the final. Oh, really? You may have to put a sticker on sure, the record. Sure, sure. So what? 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 Why not just do uh, you know real country music that's not filthy? I don't want to. Well, I understand that, but I mean, do you want to make a living? How are you making money? I mean, what are you doing? Is that well? Only- I mean, this is like I said. It's kind of. It's now. It's kind of really. You know. It's it's make it or break it time really it's like what, what, but that's happened before it sounds like i mean yeah i mean i know but this one this one i just wanted to see and it's a pretty fuck these are crazy times out there what what let's i wanted to see what would happen if if i if i put out me you know wheeler raw you know put yeah. it out all out there I see what's it. happened but what have you been doing for the last 10 years you don't drink no you didn't get fucked up drugs no, drinking I drink. oh okay all right, did did that become a problem? I mean, it just sounds like there's still a gap in time there that where you just hold up somewhere where you, you know. Yeah, well, t- I guess time moves pretty fast when so you, you're just drinking and sitting around the house and being upset. You know. So you uh, lost maybe a decade, or 
I would say I lost seven years, not seven, decade. seven. Yeah. So you don't remember what was going on? Did you have any? Yeah, I mean, we uh, obviously the big thing for me was losing my, losing the wife. But um, where'd she go? Is she dead? No, no, no. Oh. Um, I don't. I'd have to check my phone, but I don't. I don't think she is. But she's a uh, she. Uh, she'd had just about enough of me. So oddly, she digs the new record because this is me trying. This is me not trying to pretend to be somebody I ain't. Oh, so oh, she says. At least you're being honest. I'm glad I left. Kind of deal. That maybe that's a good name for a song. That's for not bad. Yeah, like at least you're being honest. Somebody write that now. Uh, um, I'm glad I left. So, are any of these songs about her? Like, uh, yeah, but, fucking around is. A fucking around's about that's her. That's me and her, you know, fucking around each other. And she was supposed to sing on that one, but no good. No, no. Is she, no dice. she, she with another dude now? No, I'm not, no, she better fucking not be. I mean, we're, we'll get back together, I'm sure. Okay. Poon. Poon is kind of my fuck you to Nashville. It seems like all, it seems to be the theme, right? Yeah, but Maybe. that one I actually named names. Oh, really? Yeah. Like the, who? The artists I don't like. Oh, really? Know, like? Like Florida Georgia Line and um, I even mentioned, you know, Reba and Garth Brooks just to, you know, try to start some start controversy. Start some shit? Yeah. You think it's gonna? Or you think they're just gonna be like, what's Oh, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, like, like Garth don't check his Twitter that much. Yeah. What what do you, what are you going to do like if this doesn't work out? What are you like 40 something now? Yeah, I'm 42. I mean, I'll probably just move back to my parents' farm and just sit around, you know. Yeah. Is there any animals out there? Yeah, we got a couple cows. Yeah. You, yeah, so your folks would have you back. You think you could just move into your old room or No, they got a well they got a we got like a little like farmhouse in the back. I just I'd sleep back there. You know, I'd be I'd probably be happy just hanging out there see my old butt. A lot of my buddies growing up didn't really make it out of town even, so. Oh, so they're all there? Yeah, we just go get around, get fucked up, go to the bowling alley and shit. And, right, so they'd just be like, he's back. I think they expected me to be back sooner than that. They've been waiting for me since then anyway. Well, I mean, well, I, I, I wish you luck. I don't think, you, you know, I mean, I don't know you, but I mean, it's a bold move. Uh, I don't know how you're going to get any airplay with this thing, but I, I hope you succeed in pissing off Nashville enough to make you feel like you've achieved something. Yeah, it's like I, I felt like I was on on my way out anyway. Let's just go out. Let's go out with the biggest fucking bang I can. Yeah. And um, are you playing these songs live when you go out? Yeah, yeah. And people are enjoying it. You got a draw? Are the people coming to see you? Or what? Uh, well, we're, we're about to tour. We're going to find out. So. Oh, so you don't know? You haven't played any of them? Yeah, right? I mean, uh, my guess is no. And then I, like I said, my this is kind of my most likely my swan song so i wanted to go out and try to promote it but why do i feel like you're so committed to this it almost feels like you you know the best thing that could happen is this fails um maybe i just been at it too long i think you know mm. i think i i think i um i don't think it's self-sabotage really like you said i think it's more just like i'm so fucking pissed i can't take it anymore like Right. This look what Na- Nashville fucking look what you've done to me kind of thing. But you look good. I mean, the cover. You look. You. you yeah. No. I was. Together. I mean, I had. I put everything I had into the record. No doubt. But right. But but you kind of made it so it makes it very difficult for you to succeed. But you're gonna feel good if uh, if you succeed and and just. It's almost like I'm. I'm thinking about the whole story. So I'm thinking about the end too. It's like oh. how to work out and then I can go. Man, you just. Yeah. I I did the craziest fucking thing you'd ever seen. So man. you're already thinking about. The stories you're going to tell your friends back at the farm. Yeah, that's maybe that's where I make the money on the book. Oh, on the book. Yeah. So that you're looking ahead. You haven't started writing that yet. No, I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, don't they? They don't they give you some guy to write it for you? Sure, if they give a shit about you. Yeah, well, that's a big if, I guess. <laughs> 
All right, man. Well, you know, best of luck with it. It's always uh, it's always nice talking to somebody who's uh, you know got a uh, you know uh, is committed to their vision. You know. What oh, I mean? thanks, man. Yeah, you. Same thing for you, man. I mean, it's cool to catch up with you again. Thanks for having. It's cool that I actually. There's about we we did the you know the we looked out and there's about seven places. Yeah. Outlets where I'm allowed to even name the songs here, so it's cool that one of them that sure. you said I, yes. We can name a couple other ones. Uh, well, we got uh, we got the dirty ones. You want to name like Small Town Saturday Night? That sounds like a regular country song. Yeah, we well, me and my buddy end up jacking each other off at the end of that song because we get bored. Did that happen? Um. All right. I'll say no comment. All right. All right. All right. How about uh, Summers in Kentucky? That sounds nice. Yeah, that was that's a pretty one. But yeah, yeah, that's a, that's one that I think we could get some radio play f- from. But what happens in that one? It's just like looking back at you know how much I miss the old days. About you know like getting old and yeah, like what my fucking life has turned into and how the girls my you know I growing up with are now looking kind of nasty. I probably see now they're like that. You know, it's all going well until yeah, that's what know. happens. About two minutes into that song, it kind of all falls apart. But you say that like it's exactly what you wanted to do. Yeah, well, I don't know that that song would have worked without me talking about the stretched out pussies and stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's there's people I'll, who there's people who would argue with that. I'm sure. But. Well, no, a lot of songwriters I've talked to have run into that problem. They're like, how, how do I? <laughs> oh, yeah, you've had some of the biggest. Yeah, Keith Richards have that problem. He was yeah, here, right? He was here, but like usually they figure out another way to say it. Yeah, and I guess that's what makes you you is the honesty. Yeah, I never claimed to be Keith Richards, but um, well, I mean, you brought him up. I, I'm just saying that, like, I I don't know that there's any Stone songs well, sure, that but, but outwardly I, say what a stretched out pussy, but yeah, I mean, but, on some I mean, level. But yeah, I mean, I guess he's better at you know they had some pretty uh, edgy edgy shit that they sure. did. They did so. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and not it, as clever to figure out. I don't. I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do any. I didn't want any innuendos. I didn't want to like. Right. It's it's like it's 2017 enough with the fucking metaphors. Right. You know? Yeah, straight shooter. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that should be the title of your next record. Straight shooter. That's probably already taken. Oh yeah, it's got to be, right? Right. I don't know. We can Google it. Do you have a computer or do you? Yeah, I got I mean I got a phone, but All right. um Well, you can do it on Straight Shooter. That's a good fucking Yeah. Can I just take that or I would. I would right. just take it and not even research it. See what happens. It seems to be in your your kind of your thing like, you know, fuck you. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know. Maybe that's another good title. Fuck you. I didn't know. You think about that one? Yeah, fuck you. I don't you. know why I'm pitching you titles. Yeah, fuck you. I didn't know you couldn't say you couldn't talk about pussies on the radio. Well, that's a little long for a title. But, yeah, I mean. But I didn't know what you're saying. You know what I'm saying. Like, I do. It's like, I want them to come to me. You know? Yeah, sure. I want them to go. Yeah. You know what? We'll bleep it ourselves. Because I ain't sending it out. Anymore. It's another good one. We'll bleep it ourselves. That's a good title for something. Yeah. Do you need to ride anywhere? Do you have a car? Or? Um. Well, my my piece of shit manager just took his cousin to disneyland or something so yeah he'll be back he said he'll be back in a little bit like what like how long i'll just wait outside you know what, what time you're gonna is wait it? out in front yeah i mean it's be six hours max i got my guitar i can work on some tunes out front yeah do you mind no it's all right uh, yeah it's yeah no, yeah just not not in the yard like at okay, the end of the drive on the street well the sidewalk's fine all right cool i, I mean i can give you a bottle of water too I, I, would, I would appreciate that. All right, buddy. Well, thanks for talking. Of course, man. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me. And uh, everyone go out and buy the record.
Again, the new Wheeler Walker Jr. record, Old Wheeler, is available at wheelerwalkerjr.com or wherever you get music. So, Ariel Levy. This uh, this book she wrote about her mom, the memoir, and her, where she's at emotionally, and uh, you know what, uh, you know her journey. I tell you, you know, this interview took place uh, in the evening, and uh, you know it was kind. Of, it got kind of. He- I don't know if it got heavy, but uh, a lot in common, you know. And and we just. <laughs> I remember at some point where I was talking to her, and I'm like, God, we're just kind of working through stuff, aren't we? But. But uh, the book is great, and it's available in paperback, An Abbreviated Life, a memoir, okay? It's, uh, it actually comes out tomorrow, June 13th. So this is me and uh, Ariel in the garage talking some issues, some stuff, some family, some things. All right, let's do this. I remember you hanging around Luna Lounge. I remember it. I remember you. Like when you sent the book, the book that you're you're going to tell me about. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I do remember you. I don't know if you told me an abbreviated life. That's the name of your book. But I don't know if you, like it was sent with like, do you, I know you. Do you remember me? Did you? No, I said you probably won't remember me. But like I do remember you. Why do I remember you? You were around. You must have been around. I was around. I wasn't in the foreground. Uh huh. No, it was like Luna Lounge, right? Right. Mid nineties. Right. I don't know if I never asked you out or like I never because I was sort of we, did, we didn't go out. That not I even remember. once. <laughs> no. Not even for a dinner. Not no. for a coffee. No. Okay. But who? Why were you hanging around comedy then? I was working at MTV. I was oh. working on a show, a comedy show. Yeah. At MTV, so I was with a lot of the comedy writers. Mm-hmm. You know, I was I was not really a part of it. I yeah. was more of an observer, right? So, a regular. Yeah, and then I and then I drifted away because I wasn't in the comedy scene. Well, what did you end up doing? Journalism. Like, where, okay, so, so where does how does that go? So in my thir- I, that was in my early thirties. Really, the comedy thing. Luna, yeah, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, I think I don't know. I'm forty nine now. So. I'm fifty three. That was like um, 95, right? I guess. 63. It's like we're we're 90. I know. It happens. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, what was that back in the- What had to happen? Back in the day? Yeah, it is back in the day. When they had taxis. Yeah. And they had like, you know- It was still kind of filthy in New York, just barely. Pay phones. Oh, yeah. Pay phones. Sure, I do. I remember the first cell phones. Pagers. (laughs) Beepers? Yeah. Sure. Um- yeah, so it was around that time. And then and then um I got into journalism in my mid thirties. Yeah. And I started working for the Sunday Times magazine. So in England. Uh huh. And I got How a, did that happen? Like why England? You know, oh, so this is interesting. Yeah. I it was after it was after nine eleven. Yeah. And I wanted to write a story yeah. on what had happened to the Muslims in New York uh-huh. post 9-11 because everybody was writing all of these stories yeah. about Americans and I thought it was really important to get the voice of what was actually happening remember they weren't allowed to go to the Statue of Liberty and sure I was I was living you know, two blocks away from Steinway Street in Queens okay so it was crazy there that was where like you know like within a day or two some kids went uh, pissed off uh, New Yorkers went in and just broke up a coffee shop 
you know, and there was a lot of like tension over there because all the Arabs are over there. Right. So, yeah. So, and nobody wanted to do that story. Yeah. And if you remember, I think it was Susan Sontag wrote yeah. something for the New Yorker. Right. She was vilified. Right. So I had a story I wanted to do about some of the some of the shopkeepers who were in the shadow of nine eleven. You know, they had all those newsstands yeah. that were decimated. Yeah. And nobody would do it. And I pitched it to someone. Um, had said, you know, you should try England. Yeah. And I'd never really had never any connections. That, no, yeah. I, I, I'd read the Sunday Times and yeah. I was a big fan of yeah. The Guardian and, you know, a lot of these papers. But um, so this this is a true story. I called up the switchboard at the Sunday Times magazine. In England. In England. Yeah. There was actually a switchboard. Yeah. Like in I Love Lucy. Yeah. And they, and they connected me to an editor in the features department. Uh-huh. And you just said, I'm an American, I'm here. I said, I, wanna... I, I, said I would like to write a story. Yeah. Who can I pitch it to? Yeah. And they gave me the name of the editor. That would never happen. I mean, can you imagine the New York Times? It's impenetrable. So I pitched the story. And he said to me, well, if you know, go ahead and write it. Yeah. And if we like it, we'll run it. And I went off and I reported it. And Where'd uh, you go? I went to some of the mosques. Uh-huh. And I went to, I found a guy who had lost a business and... I really had no idea what I was doing, but I knew that I had a st- that I wanted to tell the story. Yeah, and then he um, he ran it in their nine eleven anniversary issue. Uh huh. He became the editor of yeah. the magazine. Became like a mentor to me for, uh-huh. as a journalist. He said, "You are pretty good at you're you're terrible at reporting. <laughs> yeah, but you're pretty good at interviewing. Yeah." So he, I sort of moved in that direction, and, and and I started writing for the Sunday Times magazine. Regularly, yep, and that was your gig. That was it. The first interview I did was Martin Scorsese. Oh yeah, yeah. He's not. He he's not. Uh, he he doesn't. Um, he's not hard to get talking. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's not a tough interview. Yeah, is it? he's not shy. No, he's kind of going to guide him. Yeah, uh, throw things into the machine. Yeah, that maybe trigger him in the direction you want. I would imagine it was fun. Yeah, it was fun. I didn't. Yeah, so I I had a I had a really really great experience with journalism for about ten years. When and you stayed in New York. I would. I went back and forth. Uh huh. Between London and New York. That's exciting it for was, your thirties. Yep. 35 to about 44 and then everything changed yeah well i mean he left well yeah everything because it was almost like this golden era yeah where there was an editor of the magazine and he had like like a a, newspaper yeah he had writers and we would all go out to dinner and talk about ideas and then the budgets started getting slashed and Uh you know everything started to change and and once he left the magazine i lost the contract and i Uh went back to new york and did what i had to start freelancing uh-huh. It was awful, and um, I'm very bad at it because I'm not really good at being pushy or hustling and right chasing checks and no, free, it's freelancing. I know, you know? And it's, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. So and then I and then I got the book. So I, I wrote the proposal for the book. So this brings us up to that. So yeah. like you wrote, you, you did the the Times for ten years, and well, for did... ten years you <laughs> wandered the freelancing plateau. No, no, I I did I did. Um, so when I was at the magazine, I did a column. Mm-hmm. I did a you know I did a humor yeah. column, pessimism. It was called Cassandra at at uh, the, the Sunday Times, Times yeah. magazine. And so then, that was weekly. 
Yep. Oh, I did good. it for five years. Good gig. Yeah. Right? It was hard. It was hard. A col- writing a column, people think it, it's great because it's consistent, but uh-huh. you have to, you know, I mean, you have to write a, every a column week. every week. So. <laughs> you got to show up for work. It's and working. Out what the fuck to write about. <laughs> yeah. I know. I do a weekly newsletter. It's like I, I dread it sometimes. Well, do you ever run out of things to say? Well, you know, fortunately for me, you, you know, over the last decade, I, I focused primarily on me. So, like, if something happens to me, there's somewhere to go. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm not really reaching out into the world. I'm reacting to it. So if I right. if I'm active in my life, even if it's going to a restaurant, or if I travel, uh, usually there's something. Right. You know, it's all memoir driven, I guess, in that way. I'm not looking at phenomenon necessarily, uh, or or commenting on something unless it moves through me. Right. Yeah. But do you ever feel like there's nothing you have left to yeah, give? Yeah, all the fucking time. I feel it now, and you know now, like uh, you know, it's uh, it's all very crushing. You know, there's a you know the 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 my fundamental inability to experience uh, you know gratitude or happiness or joy is now only um, uh, kind of uh, buttressed by you, you know the political climate we're in now. You know, like my brain is always going to go there anyways, but now it's like. There's a reason. Right. You know. Right. That, you know, that's the way my self-centeredness works. Uh, you know, I'm prone towards anxiety and depression, but usually it's self-generated over bullshit. <laughs> you know, so now so now it's sort of like, no, oh, now we got something. Right, you know, no right. Got, right. You know, so my brain's sort of like, I'm in, I'm occupied. Right. But does it ever, does it ever have, like, there must be gradations of it, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it took me a long time to realize that you know, that I wasn't a depressive, hmm. that, you know, it, it was really, you know, profound anxiety and, and panic and dread that, you know, you know, fluctuated, you know, either through anger or through just, you know, kind of paralysis, but it was not like, it wasn't a, a depression as much as it was an exhaustion, mm-hmm. you know, which I, I was able to track towards more anxiety. But what, what's the what's the trigger for your anxiety? Um, I think that like the trigger is in some way, you know, and it's it's normal. Is I think most people just don't think about it as much is is anticipating bad things. You know, it, the trigger is like I don't know what's going to happen there. The like, not you know, knowing. Yeah. The but not, personally, as well as in the world. Well, I think like I just experience a lot of dread. My 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 first thought is always sort of like, well, this is going to be shitty, or this is going to be scary, or I'm gonna, I'm in trouble. You you know what I mean? That like I think that was my way of getting through to my parents. Like it, like I, I had to be in crisis to get attention mm. in some way, you know, because that's the way my parents uh, their selfishness sort of you you know they were I think worried. I don't know if they were good at, uh, I know they weren't good at uh, you know, loving or nurturing, but they were good at worrying. Were they good at reassuring? No, not at all. Okay. No, and it was always sort of, uh, it, they always put the question back on me. Like, like yeah, it's going to be all right, right? And, she, and my mother would be like, I don't know, is it? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. So it was very nebulous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I was very confronted with uh, sort of the need to, to attempt self-parenting at a very young age. There was, a, <laughs> there was really no help with the reassurance there. Right. Well, well that, that's what the anxiety is about. It's about seeking that kind of yeah, safety right, and reassurance. Right. And there isn't any now. Right. <laughs> so it's like really right. horrendous. Yeah. 
There's nobody's going to tell you it's going to be okay that you're going to believe. Right. Yeah. But in a way, it's also kind of freeing because we're all going to die. Well, we are going to die anyways. I just didn't think we'd all do it together. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's a kind of, um, what is that? Is Misery true? loves company. You know? I, yeah. Well, that's a big problem. You know, like you, you, know, you got to, even before whatever's happening now happening, you know, you got to keep moving. But, you know, usually I was driven by a compulsion or just whatever it was to keep moving right but like right at the point where i was like i think i'm ready to, i can ease up now because i've done okay i've achieved some things then this happens so now i'm like well now there's no possibility for uh for joy or whatever <laughs> hmm. but you know that's that's you know my my brain but like from your book you know which is really about you know growing up with you know profound aggressive narcissism you know, fortunately, like, I, like, it, like, it seems like your mother ran the gamut of emotional, that th there was an emotional spectrum there. It wasn't all just abuse. There was the need for, you know, sympathy and victimness and all that shit. I mean, I, my dad was like that too, but my, I, my father didn't have as an elaborate a life as your mother. Mm -hmm. But like, when did this stuff, the repercussions of this, you know, because I imagine they were unidentified throughout your life. You know, right. in terms of like you felt a certain way, which wasn't good, but you when numb, did you, numb. Yeah. When did you start to track that as being pathological or an issue? Like, I mean, you know, you you're working at MTV or whatever. Oh, you're a kid, you've got right. your own. We got our problems in our twenties and our thirties, but right. I mean, this was not not unlike me. You know, once you get the key in to tracking it to that directly to your your how you were brought up, uh, then you know you start to look back and like, oh, all of this shit, right was because of this when did that start happening oh gosh there wasn't um there, it wasn't like it was one tectonic moment it was i think a series of of moments yeah. that cumulatively added up to i got to a point where i was in my mid-40s and i just felt i mean the the title of the book an abbreviated life yeah. refers to living a life within brackets like i was functional yeah i was you know yeah i was able to have a career i had friends I right had a life yeah but on the inside i never felt um i never had any feeling of safety i never felt you know the ground was always shifting beneath me right right and, and i had no center of gravity so were you a drain on your friends uh <laughs> i i am i'm pretty sure i was i thankfully have very loyal friends right because for me like i always had one or two that were just there yeah and you don't at the time you don't really give them credit for for knowing yeah. just how nutty you are that's true uh, but like clearly the good friends that you have know that that's true that's true. And most of my close friends are friends I've had all my life. Oh, yeah? Or, you know, at least 20 years. Yeah. Oh, you know Martha yeah. Plimpton? Yes. She She's an old here. childhood friend. Great. Well, yeah, you grew up in all that crazy New York shit. Yeah, yeah. That, like, you know, the, the, the world that your mother comes from and that her mother came from, that sort of weird 1970s intelligentsia, theater, art, fashion, literature world was like, that was, the, that was a big deal then. They dictated culture. Right. Right. And you grew up in that. I did, yeah. 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 And it was lo it was almost like and I wrote about this in the in the book that um bad behavior was excused. Right. You know, it yeah. was very it was a very self indulgent time. 
Right. So if you were an artist, you could get, you know, it was you could get away with the kind of bad behavior yeah. that, you know, to a certain extent, my mother got away with. Separate of how it was with her as a parent, I think that, you know, that, that, that kind of... Um, Indulgence right. was accepted, and it's, it's very specific what you went through. But I, I don't think that having a a bad behaving narcissistic parent is is cultural. I mean, I think it happens at all tiers of 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 uh, families. Right. Yeah. You know, but like your you know your story is just like it takes place in you know what a lot of us romanticize. Right. Which for me was really very uh, unappealing. Oh, really? I wanted a very conventional <laughs> home with a mother who was cutting crusts off the sandwiches. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah. I, I wanted that. Did you have friends that had that? I did. Yeah. I did, yeah. And 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 by the way, I would say to my mother, I would I want I wish you were more of a right of a mommy mommy. That's what I call Yeah. Them, you know? They don't like that. No, because she, of course, you know, I was completely ungrateful for having her as a poet and an artist and yeah. another. So. Well, I always pushed back. You know, like, <laughs> I, that was, I think, the one thing that saved me in terms of, like, I always fought them. Right. You know, I always pushed. And, like, I remember a breakdown on a family trip where I'm like, why can't you be more like uh, Eric's parents? Hmm. And there was just, like, crying in the car and my father going, why don't you go fucking live with them? You know, fuck right. you. <laughs> it's always go live with them. Yeah, you know, and right. it, it was like crazy. Right. It was crazy. It just, you know, I don't, but. Well, because they feel taken for granted and it's all about them. It's all about them, but I like, you know, and I, I hate to admit it, I do I do not think they knew how to do it differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't, and I don't like to let them off the hook, but they're still like, they are what they are. And, you know, they didn't, you know, I don't know. Do they have, they're still together? No. Oh, okay. But they're alive. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Something. But so you're, okay, so let's go back before we get into the the core of it. Like, so you're in your 40s. Yeah. And, you know, you're starting to realize you, you know, you you feel you, you don't have any grounding, but you're a bit of a control freak. Right? Definitely. Because you, the, you go either way. Like, you know, kids of alcoholics or kids of, of narcissists or whatever the problem is, either you do everything to manage your environment or you just become like them. Right. There's two ways to go. Right. Either you're a drunk or you're a person that would never drink and can't stand drunks. Right. Yeah. Or you're a person who would never drink but doesn't care to be around drunks. Mm-hmm. So a polite control right. freak. Right. <laughs> Right. So you're a polite control freak? I, I would say that's correct. <laughs> Not to be too specific. Uh-huh. Yeah. But, but, yeah. You, but your mother wasn't a drunk. She she did drink, but right. that wasn't that, wasn't that was the least of it. So what do you do so. in your 40s when you find that, like, you yeah. know, I imagine if it wasn't a tectonic, is that the word you used? Yeah. Shift, you know, it was a problem. I Well, I, I had gotten to a point where I felt... Um, I was so imprisoned by my past that I didn't want to be tyrannized by it anymore. By And you still had a relationship with her at that point. I uh, did, yeah. So you were tyrannized because you were constantly triggered by engaging with her. That's right. Uh-huh. I was afraid. Yeah. I was afraid of her as an adult the way I had been afraid of her as a child. And that's sort of the abbreviated life idea right on another level, which is like, you know, as soon as you engage with them, the emotional interaction is timeless. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And and when you're a child and you're helpless, you feel helpless as an adult. Ugh. 
So that powerlessness had not left me. Uh, you know, and I and I think that the cumulative effect of it of yeah. always acquiescing, yeah, and always making it easy so that I didn't have to to engage and have yeah. the conflict, created this sense of going through life with a, um, you know, like a, a an armor on. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but that only acts to insulate that you know terrified kid. Right. Yeah. You, you don't evolve. Yeah. Right. So, right. You get so, to a point where then you're ready to evolve. What'd you do outside of write the book? Uh, well, I did a therapy called EMDR. I, yeah, just I got my, a buddy that is one of the big practitioners of that. It's great. I did it. I have recordings of me doing you it. You do? Yeah. D- and did it help you? I think in the moment it did. I, I do not think I went deep enough. We, right. Explain it a little because I, I mean, he talked about it and you know, explain to me what what it's the the what it sets out to do because it's, a, it's right. a bizarre kind of thing that could easily be dismissed as uh uh as um uh, something almost huckstery you know right right um well it's used mostly for people with ptsd yeah a lot of vets right and, yeah and what it does i mean obviously i'm not a uh, spokesperson or sure a, but like therapist. when it was pitched to you and so how did you find uh, so uh, i i started to do it because my therapist my long time uh-huh. therapist yeah. became a practitioner uh-huh so um, i would not have right. known about i didn't seek it out yeah and she said to me i think this would be very helpful for you yeah i was completely cynical yeah um going into it thinking of obviously yeah thinking it wasn't going to work and when she told me about it, it seemed great, you know, like it's bilateral stimulation. Uh-huh. So you have, um, you're hearing sounds, beeps in your ears, and yeah. you're seeing, you know, watching m- moving, moving light. light. Yeah. And what that's doing is it's stimulating your right brain and left brain at the same time, uh-huh. right? But what the point of what it does is that there are memories that are frozen like that have you frozen emotionally so you have reactions to things and you feel certain um consequences of things that aren't necessarily logical or or in in the current reality right yeah and by going through this process it's like unfreezing those memories yeah because they they remain kind of like uh on a loop right and you're reacting as though that is still you're you're frozen in that time. right interesting and so, so it breaks the loop yeah I, th- I think of it almost like melting the memories right you know right and and you're able to then see like in my case without getting into too much about it i i was able to recognize um ah i was not responsible for her Right behavior, like that's who she was. I was just a kid, yeah, trying to grow up, yeah, and I saw her for who she was, right, rather than feeling the uh, anger and the outrage and the you know all of the pain. Yeah, I could actually see it. Yeah, like from a distance, right, which was very helpful. You could separate the two of you, right? right. Interesting. So where where So I think you should I think you should do it. I did a little bit I, and I did find some success uh, with it. I think that PTSD obviously there's a spectrum of it, but I I do think it, it's a real thing. Mm. And I did find some relief around some things. You, you know. Right. Uh but you know again it was him doing it here at your in well, the garage? Yeah, yeah, I did. No. It. <laughs> 
we recorded it. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Oh, okay. But I was in it. I don't know, know I, if that's the most effective. No, no, I know. You know but you know, but we to do I, a podcast of EMDR. I didn't. I didn't put it up. Okay. Because I did get choked up, and you know, it is okay. very vulnerable okay. place. As right. you know, when you're in it, I was you, afraid I was going to have a psychotic break. I was, really? Yes, I was very. I was nervous. going into it or do or during it. Going into it, I was afraid that it would un. You know that I would open a door to memories I had blocked out for a reason. Yeah. And I was scared. And I didn't, by the way. Of yeah. course, I had to play out the worst case scenario. Right, before. Before To prepare yourself. Of course. <laughs> I had to. Yeah. You have to. That's what you do. Um, and, and then what happened was when we, you do a timeline of, you know, it's hard to, I won't get into all the specifics, but I'm sure you understand. Like you have yeah. to talk about ahead of time right. some of the stuff. The, the stuff. Around the trauma. Around the trauma. Yeah. But in my case, it was it was sort of a chronic feeling of aloneness. Yeah. So how do you isolate that? You well, know? you pick uh, outstanding memories of that. Yeah. Times when I right. felt completely helpless. Yeah. And that helped. And that too. was this before you wrote the book? Yeah. So when you were going through those things where you're like, this is going to go in the book. If no. That, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, like that. this memory's going in. No, no, no. Because I... Uh, I think un- unlike you when you did your EMDR, yeah. I wasn't I wasn't like thinking, oh, maybe I'll do something with this. I know, but the, but know. did things come up that you hadn't really thought about in a long time? You mean memories? Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of that. Well, what was weird was that I found it wasn't the headline traumas yeah. that did the most damage oh yeah it was like little things like a promise being broken or yeah you know right. something no, yeah I got, <laughs> I got those memories like just weird little moments of hurt exactly yeah that were so profoundly disappointing yeah 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 that you wouldn't have you know you don't walk around telling people like oh and then when i was eight years old she broke a promise to have dinner with me you know it wasn't like it wasn't as though they were um oh yeah that significant yeah but it came up that those some you know those very innocuous moments yeah. were actually very uh, you know painful well, yeah because that pain of of rejection or embarrassment invisibility yeah well that's a big one see that's one thing that i always did throughout my uh upbringing with selfish parents was i, I ranted and raved a lot mm. i demanded to be seen did Is they it, hear you yeah, sometimes you know, like there were ways, you know. My my old man was. They were sort of like I think they were kind of uh, taken aback that I was so cocky and and so you know, opinionated and and so charismatic. So they they it, there was a default to it. I mean, my dad would be pretty brutal uh, emotionally, and my mother was somewhat detached. But I think that because of my charisma or intelligence or my desire to know things. They were kind of like, well, he seems like he's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he seems to have his own thing. Like, they were displaced as parents. And, like, inside, I was just, like, being erased constantly. Right. You know. Right. So, did they disavow your feelings? I don't know. Like, like it, it was like, it, beca- it always became confusing. It wasn't, there wasn't the, there was manipulation like you experienced, I think. But, but it was more sort of like, 
they they were sort of detached. My father was very detached and my mother was very indecisive. There wasn't much discipline. There was no helping with the homework. There wasn't necessarily that much interest in what I was doing. Um, you know, in terms of feelings, if I was upset or sad, I think it embarrassed my mother somehow and she would laugh at me a lot. My father would, you know, like he, he was just very emotionally detached. So there wasn't any, you know, like you stink or you're terrible. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of like, you know, why can't you do better? Mm-hmm. You know, what's the matter with you? But it wasn't, the co- the competition uh, became more pronounced later, like when I was a teenager. Then it, it felt like I threatened him. I threatened the old man or mm-hmm. I threatened her somehow. But where did it start with you? So you grew up wealthy, right? Like Upper East Side? Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't. It was my. I had a very bohemian. Well, that's right. I'm sorry. Life. Man, wealthy's not right. You grew up like New York arty. Yeah. And your mom was an artist. Yeah. Yeah. My mother was an artist and a great poet and a great writer. Known for it. Very. Yep. Famous. As a, as famous as a poet can be, right? Right. But or, she. But she was tapped into relative. That. Yeah. Yeah. Sure, but there at that lo- time. The, yeah, there were a lot of people around who you know admired her as an artist but like I, I just picture that scene that i used to see on like television in the 70s you know like you watch dick cavett or something yeah and you know you'd see you know, <laughs> dick cavett was great yeah he's george, still alive i know yeah you see george plimpton norman miller you know, yeah andy warhol this this like this scene yeah that really kind of was at the forefront of culture even in stand-up to some degree in the late 70s that that new york right uh, that world of uh, of that generation of bohemians were real rock stars. Right. And this is after, well, maybe during the factory, right, Warhol? A little bit, a little bit after, yeah. So, like, we're heading into the 80s where everything is... No, it was in the 70s. Yeah. Some early 70s. And you're, like, a kid. How old? I was, I was, well, I would say between zero and 10. So, 68 70s. to 78. All right, yeah. so you're young. Yeah, and it's, I was a kid. And it's crazy. What's going on? Who's coming over? What are you dealing with? Oh, well, there was uh, there was um, raucous parties on weeknights, which uh-huh. was, you know, very disturbing to me yeah. because there would be a lot of people there um, who, I guess, you know, you now as an adult yeah. would think was exciting. Like, right. You know Norman Mailer and Andy Warhol, and they people. were there. Yeah, they at were, your they at were your there. apartment, but drinking, I, yelling. I was a kid who needed to sleep, <laughs> so I would come out of my bedroom in your nighty, in my nightgown, yeah, and open the door and shout into this crowd of crazy artists, like, "Can everybody please go home? I have to go to school tomorrow. I have oh. to go to sleep." <laughs> And my mother would say, after the belly dancer, or, you know, come join the party. And Warhol's just standing there. He was... Detached and odd. and I mean, you know, I I wrote... They're smoking in there and they're drinking. They would come in my room, you know, and I was... I'm an only child, so Mm -hmm. I was really... To talk to you? To talk to me, to sit, to smoke, to get away from the crowd, to use my bathroom. <laughs> oh my God. You know, it was a just like smelly alcohol, boozy, arty people. And I was like, I felt the only adult you at know? that time, really. And I was about eight years old. And I think people would. Did you feel that, or are you putting that back into it? 
Did you feel like the only adult or is that something I don't think you- I had the intellectual capacity at that time to recognize it. But I think my constitution right. was, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Why are these people behaving so inappropriately? Yeah, I'm a right, kid. Right. Like, I shouldn't be the one telling them to be quiet. Sure. You know, in my head, yeah. that's what was going they, then on. Then they probably thought you were a precocious, cute kid. Oh, look at her. You know, the, the little square. Yeah, or they thought I was a brat. Oh, right. You know, like, oh, she's such a party pooper. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. Because they're all infantilized grown-ups. Right. Yeah. So I was like, you know, the bratty kid who was telling everyone to go home. And then know? how did this, like, and then what, how'd your mother answer for this? How, what, you know, what was the relationship? Well, my, you know, my mother was very, um, she was like a kid herself, of course, yeah. you know, so. Emotionally. Yeah, and she also, you know, she loved entertaining and she loved being the center of attention. And so yeah. What would happen is uh, the next day, I, mean, I was always negotiating for peace. Mm-hmm. You know, I mm-hmm. was like making her promise, please don't have dinner parties on weeknights. <laughs> Can you just have them on the weekends? Yeah. You know, and yeah. then she would say, okay. And then they would come, you know, the dinner parties would be on the week. It would all, it was, ne- there was no um, consistency. Mm-hmm. And I would say to her the next day, you know, something about this is too, you know, too much for me. I, I have to go to school. And she would say, what's the big deal? Right. You know, so yeah. it was sort of and that was a, you know, kind of a facet of gaslighting because my perception was being canceled and overwritten. You know? Right. So gaslighting is a theme throughout this thing. In the book. Yeah. yeah the that, book. About because you did the TED talk on gaslighting. Yeah. Let's let's explain that because you, you you know I hear the word now and I've I've had to look it up and you know try to understand you know what it means I get it. Oh, you hadn't heard it? I, I think I'd heard it, but I don't think like I I saw it in so much common usage uh, until recently. Um, but I heard it, but I didn't know exactly what it was until right. like you know a few months ago. Right. Right. And you did a TED talk on gaslighting. Uh, yeah. Well, I did it on surviving gaslighting. But this is something that happens in interpersonal relationships. It's like, well, yeah. explain what it is. Well, gas, gaslighting is when someone manipulates you into questioning your sanity. Uh-huh. That's probably the most, you know, so, still down. A relationship. <laughs> yeah. Any relationship. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I guess you could say that for people like us. Um but it has, you know, it's obviously, and it can come in various different forms. And sometimes it's when you see things with your own eyes mm-hmm. and that you're told you didn't see. Right. You know, or, I mean, I don't know whether I should talk about it. Like, a, pol- I mean, politically now, the pe- the reason people are talking about it is because things are happening that, that are being denied. Right. And when reality is denied, that's yeah. a form of gaslighting in a in a big way. And right. it, it's a it's a tactic to uh, to destabilize and and take power in this particular example you're making. Right, yeah. and it's also it's a it's a real it's a real um, tool, or it's deployed yeah. by extreme narcissists. Right. So, is that is that generally the case? Yeah. So, and it's a form of abuse. Okay. Psychological. Abuse. So when did you, you know, get this key into your childhood? I mean, when did, you know, you, you, because it feels like that would be a tectonic moment to have a, a name for it. Oh, 
You know, there was a moment in my I I did I talked about this um in my twenties. Yeah. Which now feels like a hundred years ago. Yeah. That um I confronted my mother. I was very it was I, I had I never really confronted her because I knew it was there was total futility. It would always backfire and make things worse. But I did confront her once and said the words out loud, um, child abuse. And I said it in this very playful way so yeah. she didn't feel attacked. Right. You know, what about child abuse? Yeah. And her uh, response to that was, what about mommy abuse? Right. And no one ever talks about that. Right. And I knew in that moment that everything that I had experienced was disavowed. She didn't see it. She couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. Couldn't yeah. have empathy a, a, a acknowledgement. Yeah, you know, which right. is, is important. And that's like real narcissism. Yeah, and that I think crystallized for me. Yeah, you know, it was sort of like, all right, now I have to recognize I'm never going to get the wish for it to be different. Yeah, and that's that's the most powerful thing is when you have a parent. You know, you want so desperately to be loved in the way that you need to be loved. Yeah. That it's hard to give up the wish. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But it's interesting because like my experience with my father's narcissism is that, you know, I could, he could get sad, you know, and he was sad a lot. Mm. And, you know, when, you know, sort of pressured to sort of even, you know, take ownership of any of my feelings, he couldn't quite do it. You know, he would bring it back to like, you know, I, I was, uh, you know, I remember when, when I was doing this and that and the other thing, but you always do this. You know, it always goes back to me. Right. Like, but like, yeah, I know you, you're, you're like this. And, it, and then it becomes like, you're just me. Like they, I, the way I sort of characterize it is that they, a narcissist see you as sort of a, some sort of extension or prosthetic limb of theirs. Right. You know, that, you know, that you're, you're, they don't, there's no boundary there. Right. So if you're acting up, you know, it, it's some sort of weird problem they're having with a limb almost. And <laughs> they just need to <laughs> get it behaving properly so it fits the body. Right. Right. Like it couldn't possibly be that you have these feelings on your own. That you're a different person. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But does he feel, uh, in the, on the flip side of that, does he feel that he can take credit for your success? I don't know that he, you know, is able to acknowledge it fully. He is now because it becomes undeniable. And I wrote a book and I had some stuff in, about him in it and it leveled him. Like, you know, he got paranoid. Hmm. He, uh, you know, felt betrayed. He got nervous for his own reputation. You, you know, uh, I, I don't even know if he read it. Um, and, you know, he just hears about it. Like he does has a detachment from almost everything I do. And then he's primarily, since the book, preoccupied that I'm going to bring him into it. Hmm. He used to get a real kick out of me when it wasn't, you know, directed at him. Right, right. And then I had to really question my intentions about writing about him. You know, you know, was it spite or, you know, is it part of my story? Right, right. Uh, you know, is it a betrayal? And, you know, and, and you know, why uh, w did I handle it right? You know, hmm. do you feel that way because of you're afraid of hurting him? Well, it's like it's like the, I think gaslighting and Stockholm syndrome have some crossover, right? Right, right, overlap. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I guess gaslighting is the the more self aware uh, component of of beating Stockholm syndrome of of identifying with the oppressor 
and 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 right because right? they're always in your head. That's true. Yes, I hadn't thought about that. That's true. You know, so they're they're you know they live in you. Right. So you're always going to kind of like go to their point of view in there. Because you're also seeing it from their perspective. Yeah. Right. And so like, I, I don't know how I, I really felt. I felt like really what it comes down to is I felt like this was a radical way of establishing a boundary. And I did not regret that. Right. Right. <laughs> no, I, I think that I felt that way too. I mean, when I wrote for me, writing the book was because it was crossing a threshold. Mm-hmm. It, I, I really didn't think about it being published. I thought about I writing this book because I always felt if I'm going to jump off a roof, I have to write this book first. Right. So it was a book that had to be written. Mm-hmm. And then I could get on with my life. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I I feel like I I, I kind I did feel that way to a certain degree, but like there is also this idea that you're gonna you're gonna show them once and for all, on some level. Yeah, I never had that. I never because I read. I think I knew that um, it it was. Yeah, I never. I I can't say I had that because I felt she wasn't going to learn a lesson. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like she, it was, it, she, it wasn't going to get through to her, right? And she is who she is, and she is the way she is. And the only thing I could do was look out for. But myself. you didn't think it was going to hurt her. Everything hurts her. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was a feeling of, of I had to put myself first. Yeah. Right. So, and 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 I think that in some ways. Um, the feeling, I mean, this is a bigger conversation about memoir in general, but I think that you're always betraying someone when you tell the truth. Yeah. Right? And right. you have to decide um, to, you know, in my case, I had managed her feelings yeah. for so long Yeah. that I, I really had, and maybe this answers your, it's a circuitous way of getting yeah. back to your question, but I think I learned I had to put myself first. Right. And that was okay. Yeah. That it was protecting myself. It yeah. wasn't being self-centered. Right. It was allowing you to to maybe, you know, grow that scared kid up to integrate your body. You know, like, right. You, right? you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, how am I going to find the space if this woman lives in my head? Right. Right. Or that if I'm always thinking of what's going to, how do I get what I need by managing what she needs first? Uh huh. You know? Yeah. Like if she's okay, I'm okay. Uh huh. So I, and that's how I, how I grew up as a uh-huh. kid. Like I really had to make sure she was calm because when she was calm, then I could be calm. Right. Well, th- well, that's the weird thing, but you don't, you don't talk to her now? At the moment, no. For how long? It's been about, um, two. Well, like, I guess, I don't know, but I can't, uh, three or two, no, yeah. I, I like, say, I don't know, we had one conversation before the book came out, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, because I've gone through periods with him where I where I don't talk to him, and like, in you know, if I'm vulnerable, I, I try not to engage with him, but I'm still the guy, unlike my brother, who continues to resent him, like, I engage with this fucking guy, you know, I deal with him. And do you, are you close to your brother? Yeah. And I get it, but like, you know, I, I still try to navigate him. 
You, well, you what know. would happen if you didn't? Well, you just, you know, it's just like what I notice is like, I, I don't as that much, you, you know, but I do need to, you know, like, because I've had some success in my life and I, you know, and he's, you know, kind of blew his, that, you know, there is like years previous, I would be like, well, it's not my problem. But now, like, you know, I have a little more empathy and, you know, the biggest, I just try to stay out of his sadness because he will try to draw me in. And if I show vulnerability, he will try to exploit it one way or the other you know we use the window mm. if i have any vulnerability then he'll sort of exacerbate it to to keep a connection right but he doesn't he doesn't require 24 hours of no he used time to. and attention no he used to oh. he used to you know call me up and you know you know like, like he's gonna kill himself and you know he's a, you know like right the but, emotional uh, manipulation oh yeah 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 totally you know and that's still sort of there but like i can manage it but it makes me sad that that it's still there. Or? Well, just that, like you know, like I have to protect myself from it. Right. You, you, you know what I mean. And and I could choose not to engage with them, but it's hard not to do that without seeming hostile. Right. So I try to do the kind of like mature check in with the old man thing. Yeah, it's it's like parenting yourself. Like, well, that's what you got to learn to do, right? So, what was the boundary situation though? How like yeah, you know, outside of having to, you know, kind of be the grown up in it. You know, how did she? you know, annihilate the boundaries? Well, there there were so, there are no boundaries. <laughs> right, because you're just part of her. Yeah, there was no, yeah, there was no, and that, that was something that I recognized yeah. later on. Yeah. Because I was in that situation not knowing what was appropriate or not. And yeah. I, um, I was, I mean, are, you, are you speaking about something in particular that you weren't? Well, well, I mean, I, I the the parts that you know I read or that you talked about a little bit elsewhere were you know these weird games and these you know oh the being born yeah right. that that was a, that's profoundly disturbing yeah that I, and but what was very um, I think trenchant about that putting that story in the book yeah was not because it was a disturbing story it wasn't there to be a disturbing no, story. No, right. What was disturbing about it was that it wasn't disturbing to me. Right. That that what everybody would say was such a disturbing story to me was just everyday life. Well, what was the game? <laughs> so the game was called Being Born. And how old were you? I was about six years old. Yeah. And um, and I should, uh, just to put this in context, yeah. I, I talked about this story in therapy when I was in my 40s uh -huh. for the first time. Uh-huh. And my therapist, when I yeah. told her this story, mm -hmm. or, like the look on her face was total shock and horror. And she was like, How, have you not mentioned this <laughs> in yeah. like 20 years of therapy? Yeah. You know, and I was like, I don't know. It just didn't have any emotional resonance to me. Uh-huh. Um, because I think I was so conscious of my mother's uh, role, which yeah. was that for her, it was a very playful and fun thing. Uh -huh. You know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't salacious or right. titillating. Sure. Right. Well, it wasn't sexual abuse. Right. Right. It was just completely inappropriate balance. Right. Yeah. I'm familiar with that. Um, so anyway, the game was that. She, I, I would come home from school and she would say, let's recreate the happiest day of my life <laughs> when I gave birth. Mm -hmm. And she, and I would get into bed with yeah. her and she would be naked and I would 
go under the sheet and still be in my school uniform. Yeah. And she would recreate giving birth. And you'd pop out? And she would, you know, do the heaves and the sighs and uh-huh. the one, on the count of three, pop. And then I would come out, uh-huh. out of the sheet, and she would, you know, rock me in her arms like I was an infant and kiss Aww. me. And and then... Um, that was probably the only time she felt like she had complete control over you. I think for her, it was really just a fun game. <laughs> you uh-huh. know, and uh, the, the... And you played it a lot. Well, you know, for me, it was an opportunity to have my mother's attention, right? which was huge, you know? Yeah. And we played, one day she played actually with a friend of mine who came over. Mm-hmm. And then that friend wasn't ever allowed to come over again. Why? Well, she probably went home and said, you know. Like, oh, you mean from her end? Yeah. Right. She, like her mother was probably <laughs> like, what did on. you do at Ariel's house? Yeah. She's like, well, her mother got naked and we played being born. Yeah, that that was the end of that. (laughs) She's like, yeah, you're not going over there again. (laughs) Oh, boy. I have a a story about, like, they're, like, it seems like my parents are self-involved and they were, as they were, were, were were not, my mother was very insecure. Mm. And my father, obviously, narcissists at at the core of it are paralyzingly insecure, you you know, like, you know you know almost to empty in a way um but there was a story that my mother thought was so funny was that like one time when i was like three years old i fell and i hit my head on the table and i was crying and my mother felt terrible so what she did in that moment was she went and smashed her own head into the table so she could be in pain like feel what i was right that's so sweet right (laughs) It's so fucked up. It's, uh, I totally understand why, as a kid, you would think that was like the most empathetic thing. I I, I imagine I was shocked. I mean, I imagine she took it all away. Hmm. There was nothing comforting about it. It was like the exact opposite. I don't know how I responded to it, but I would imagine I'd be like, what the fuck? Right. You you know, like the, 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 I think the instinct should be like, come here, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. Not like, oh, now we're both fucked. Or, <laughs> you know, right. Now, right. Who, now who helps us? Right. <laughs> See, I'm so, uh, it's, my, perce- my perception of that was she wanted to feel the pain you were feeling so that she and you could be one. Yeah, right. yeah, but no one's helping the pain. She well, had a no, but you're looking at it from a logical perspective, which is right. Totally. She had an opportunity there to to you know kind of move me through it, right? And just decided to have no boundaries at all and hijack the situation <laughs> with her fucking insanity, right? She's gotten very contrite about it all and tries her hardest to behave properly now. Has she? Does she um, have remorse? Yeah. Does that help you? Um, sometimes. It's just the saddest part about all of it, really, for me, with, I don't know what role your father played in your life. Uh, where was he? In Thailand. Just avoiding everything? They were married and- They were divorced when I was two, and oh. he went back there, and I would spend time with him there. Why, did, why was he there? He worked for who? Well, he's a lawyer, and he worked- in. When he met my mother, he was yeah. working for the State Department uh-huh. in Hong Kong. Oh, okay. But he was living in Southeast Asia my whole life. Mm. So I would spend part time in New York with her, yeah. and then I would have like this respite where I would go spend time. It with was her. a relief. It was because I was a- away from the anxiety and the chaos. Right, and he knew about the anxiety and the chaos. Yeah. 
but you couldn't do anything about it other than just be there for you when you were there yeah he was he was powerless mm. well the, i think the the biggest regret i have is that like i do not look to them for any sort of help mm. emotionally it's got to be a pretty dire situation that's very focused you know, because like if I talk to my mother, I, I'll act like my if I need help or I'm in some sort of pain or something, I'll act like my father and, you know, just defy her to help me. And then she can't. And then I make her feel shitty. And with him, you know, if I ask him for help, then it just becomes this nightmare where I have to dis you know, di disengage myself from him. So I, I just there's no sort of like, you know, I can just call my parents. It was never right. helpful. Right. Never like, you know. Right. But that nurturing, <laughs> which I think. You know, that's a loss. Like, you feel the loss. You have I to know. grieve for that. Yeah. I I believe you do. Yeah. Because that's what every kid should have as an essential. I mean, people talk to me about, oh, I had this great life. I grew up in Manhattan. Right? Yeah. All these famous people. I just wanted to be able to feel safety. Yeah. And cared for and heard. Mm. You know, the, those are the nutrients that a kid needs in order to really grow up and feel and feel safe in the world yeah and so i think when you recognize that you didn't have that there's a period of time that you have to kind of it's like a, a death yeah you know? no, i agree and i and i deal with it i know where the problems are i know that the intimacy stuff is difficult i know that trust is difficult i know all that stuff but knowing you know, it and and then actually, transcending it yeah. moving through it yeah. yeah it's hard because it's fucking scary because you don't have any you don't have the tools for it Right. You didn't have it. You don't right. have it. You know, you don't have nurturing wired into you and you don't have trust wired into you. Right. So like, so like, it's a lot to ask for some, from somebody sometimes it's a real pain in the ass, the wrestling, emotional wrestling match right. that has to go on just for you to feel safe for fucking five minutes. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and then it just, it doesn't have traction. It's a constant. No, no. Yeah. It, it doesn't it, stick. Right. Yeah. It's, like it's it just has, it has to be. Yeah, you got to find somebody where they're like, okay, here we go. Again. Starting, starting from square one. <laughs> Again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Ugh. But the trust, no, the trust thing is really, that's that's the killer. That's yeah. the killer. I well, think. when you talk about, when you publicly talk about gaslighting, what is the arc of that conversation? I mean, you know, you're talking about a relationship with your mother mm. where your reality was, was, was canceled. canceled and destabilized to, you know, to to supplement her uh impulses yeah and by the way she couldn't help herself yeah you know i mean that's where the compassion comes in because later I, later right and in the moment i was i had no idea but how did that play out in your life i mean how many relationships did you go through <laughs> did and, you burn through yeah. well i mean like what yeah. is the arc of that conversation i imagine you're doing a ted talk that has some positive closure isn't that the punchline of a ted talk oh um the positive closure is the healthy detachment. I think that you, you, well, no, first of all, I should say when I did the talk, yeah, I, I wrote it like a writer. Uh huh. And then what I learned in the process uh -huh. was that, and you're a performer, I'm not. Right. When you're speaking to people in an audience, you can't, it's a totally different type of writing. You know, it's yeah. like you have to really, yeah. you have to make connections for them because they don't have time. Yeah. You know, it's not like reading a book. Right. So the arc of that talk was um, the comment that was made to me by this 
a stranger. Well, he wasn't a stranger. He'd been at my house when I was a kid at one of my mother's parties. Oh, yeah? And I met him as an adult. He's a writer <clears throat> who, um, when I went to go have the first interview I had with my with the man who became my editor yeah. at the Sunday Times yeah. magazine. Yeah. He showed up at the end of that. Just and, out of nowhere. Well, he was having dinner with him. Okay. They were having dinner. And did you have like a, like, oh my God, kind of? No, I oh. didn't recognize him. I was introduced to him. Uh-huh. Because the last time I'd seen him, I was five years old. <laughs> yeah. So my editor, uh, Robin Morgan, introduced me to him. Yeah. And he later said to him, I'd always thought there were only two options for that little girl, suicide or murder. <laughs> okay, it was a great line. Uh-huh. And because he had... He had, he'd seen what was... Right, he'd seen yeah. what was going on. And when I was told that he said that, I felt such validation because it was an observer who'd seen, yeah. you know, what I'd been living through. So in the talk... I go into how, you know, this was the situation with gaslighting. But then at the end, I said there were three options. There was uh, writing a book. Right. So that was the third option. Right. Suicide, murder, or creative expression. Yeah. Okay. And that's, I think, what saved me. And what saves all of us who have such anger and um, turmoil that we live with from our childhood. It's being able to express yourself and tell your story that gets you through it. And also is a tremendous help to others. I th- I think so because... Absolutely. It makes people feel less alone. Right. People suffer with this shit and they don't know what to do with it. And, you know, they don't know how to identify it. And they don't know, you know, that this might be why right. they're having the problems they're having. And sometimes it's a key a window in, a door. Right. Yeah. Well, what kind of response are you getting to the book? People, it's um, it's been very gratifying because a lot of people have said that. I mean, I, first of all, I'm, I'm I shouldn't be, but I'm surprised how many people have pernicious relationships with their parents. Mm-hmm. You know, as, and and a lot of people do. A lot of yeah. people go through it, and um, the response has been great because they tell me it's helped them a lot and it's made them feel less alone. Yeah. And they always say, oh, my story wasn't as bad as yours. Right. <laughs> Just kind of like, I don't know. I was like, is that a good thing? Is that mm-hmm. a compliment? I don't know. But um, I, I feel it's, it's a, I'm still in the aftermath of it. I feel like I did what I had to do. And now I don't know what else is as important. Yeah. You know, like, what do I, where am I going next? But, well, how does she react to it? Now, you don't really identify her in the book, so that's why no. I'm not pressing you for yeah. her name. But what, what's her reaction to it? Have you gleaned anything? Have you heard? Have you? Oh, yeah. Her reaction was very upset at first, and then very apologetic, and then very remorseful, and then very angry. And then, you know, it yeah. was completely, it was, uh, it was as unpredictable as I predicted. Did but, she make it about her? Oh yeah, yeah. But I think she, I think on I guess some it was about her. So <laughs> yes, and on a deep level, she knows. Uh huh. You know, a level that she can't really talk about or access in a way that is useful yeah. to us. Yeah. But she knows. Yeah. You know. Ugh. And she had it too. You yeah. know, it was she had a horrible, horrible life. And yeah. 
never got over it. Though. Yeah. And she had a wonderful life and a horrible, you know, it's, it's always. Yeah. I just like, sometimes it's, it's weird. never one thing. Like the pain of moving through stuff and, and whatever relief you get or whatever clarity you get of, of acknowledging and sort of dealing with the wound or the trauma, like you, you, something stays the same. Do you know what I mean? Like I, like I, I what do you mean? Well, like I, I know a lot about myself and I know a lot of people go through things, but a lot of times you open all this stuff up and there's a relief to it. But like, you, you know, once you really identify and, and own yourself, you know, especially at, at the age that I'm at or you're at, you know, you really get this moment where you're like, okay, so what do I want to do with my life? Right. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Like, okay, that's done. I figured right. that out. So because, now let's start living. Right. It's mm. such a part of your identity. Right. I guess that's And then it. it's an identity crisis. Yeah. Whereas then you get people who just sort of, you know, stiff upper lip or, you know, right. just kind of like get on with it and they just live locked in that pattern without the investigation. There's moments where I'm like, and I don't know if that's terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, some people are disabled. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, emotionally disabled, yes. and I guess the, I guess the real problem with that, and like something I see, you know, my brother struggling with, is that, on some level, the responsibility, if you are able to have empathy or, or be a little bit of selflessness, is that, you know, you can, your responsibility is to stop the cycle. In the sense that, you know, if you do do the work mm. and you do the vulnerability and and open yourself up, uh, you know, at the risk of that, you know, once you do get to a place where you have some peace with it that, you know, hopefully you don't treat people the same way or your children or whatever the fuck it is. And you think of other people. Right. That's a big one. Empathy was very hard for me. Mm. Like I had it, but, you know, it was inverted in some weird way. You know, that wasn't like, you know, like acknowledging separateness as much as it was like, oh man, I just thought about how you probably feel and I feel terrible. Right. Like there's no. Like you have to work at that, right? I can't right. hold the space right. and let you have your feelings. I can take them, right? Yeah, you know, sponge them up and then make it about me, right? But you know, me, right? I can't give you your space. But but doing this podcast really, you know, helped me with that. It, it, like it, it, it made me do it. It made you have empathy. Well, it made me connect with it. Like right. I, I think it was there, but it was not. It was not quite right. You know, the the right. ability. And I still, you know, talk over people or or I'm quick to sort of absorb what they're feeling and, you know, and then, you know, make it about me. You know, like I do do that, but, but I'm much more aware of like, you know, like just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You can just, all you got to do is be present for this. Right. And that's enough. Right. You know, you're not going to fix nothing here. You're not going to, you know, it's not your, you know, this isn't your life and they've been living it. So you, you don't have to, there's no advice that has to be here. You just have to. Hold the space and bear witness. Right, right. And that's helpful. And sometimes to say, oh, that must be really hard. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's horrible. Yeah, I get choked up. But it's, now it's for the right reasons, you know. Right. Not because, like, God, if I went through that. Be- <laughs> <laughs> like, how do I prepare for that not happening to me? Yeah, yeah. I don't right? do that. I, those don't, that doesn't really happen. Right. But do you have, so this is an, int- that's a bigger one, but forgiveness Mm. with your parents sometimes i i don't know how 
it, more than I used to. You know, like, because I had to do, like, at some point I had to see them as people mm-hmm. with, without expectations and without the idea that they were going to show up for what they didn't or that they were going to change. But just to really have that moment where you're like, hey, that's who that person is. Right. And I can accept that. Right. Uh, I guess that's sort of forgiveness. In terms of how they treated me or what I became, I did all right. You know, I, I am emotionally crippled in some way, you, you know, but there's a lot worse. To me, it's very, I've been thinking about that a lot because people say, you know, do you forgive her and, you know, yeah. all of this. And I think compassion is really different than forgiveness, mm-hmm. right? Like I ha- I have compassion now. Yeah. I'm, I'm move, I've moved through that anger. Yeah. I have compassion. Mm-hmm. But forgiveness is different because it's opening a door that allows people, I think, to continue to hurt you to a certain extent, you know, and-, and Right, and it's yet, trickier. Yeah, it's trickier, so. Well, I mean, but you can, for, it's like it's like forgiving somebody after they're dead or something, like, you know, you can do then. I mean, like, I, forgiveness does not have to be right. interactive, right? No, that's true. You can forgive someone without having to have, to be engaging with them. Yeah, we'll, we'll work on it. All right. Thanks for coming. Okay. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So that was heavy. Uh, was it heavy or was it helpful? I, you know, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes they're one and the same, aren't they? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. I need to meditate. Let's play some meditative guitar. A little bit of meditative guitar. Let's go back to the electric. Boomerly.